Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to... The Bridge the Divide podcast with Erica Turner and Heidi Wheeler, hosts and founders of the group Bridge the Divide Cedarburg. We hope to provide a forum for discussion and action around racial reconciliation. We seek to identify instances of inequality, foster empathy, and educate others to recognize their part in problems and solutions in Ozaki County and beyond. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Bridge the Divide, our podcast in our little corner of the world here in the Midwest. Thank you for joining us. Um, Heidi, it's been, uh, it's been, it feels like a long month. I think it's only been a month since we, re- we recorded last, but. Has it been that long? I don't know. I, I don't know. I had Tom- somebody in COVID times, like the COVID calendar. I don't uh, know what no. day it is or where we are. No, completely confused and lost. No, no social events to base one's life on anymore. Exactly, exactly. I I am very blessed to be able to work from home. And but work from home is it's all one big giant day. I'm like, wait, why am I so hungry? Oh, I forgot to eat breakfast. It's two o'clock. Oh, I guess I better eat lunch. <laughs> it's just yeah, it all just blurs into one big thing. It does. Yes, yes. But we are happy to be back. We are um, recording today with a new guest that we haven't had on before. We have Bianca Shaw, who is with us today. Hey, Bianca. Hey, how are you? Hi, Heidi. How are you? Welcome. Yes. Thank you for coming. And one of the things that we like to do when we have our guests is um, we give like a little brief intro and the intro that that I chose that I that I like the most um, from your 
your many things that you do is that Bianca is an advocate, a mom, and a child of God. So I figure we've got everything covered with that. That's good. <laughs> but what I'll let you do is give us a, a more full uh, introduction. Tell us about yourself, what you would like for us to know about you. Sure. Um, my name is Bianca S. Stated. I live in Milwaukee. Um, I was born in Milwaukee, but raised in Memphis, Tennessee. And I've been back in Wisconsin since 2007. And so um, in that time is when I've found my advocacy voice. Um, I am a graduate of the Wisconsin Women's Network Policy Institute, and I learned a lot of knowledge um, there. And so um, in my day-to-day work, I am a state, um, a state employee. So I, I am a civil servant. Um, two constituents of this state, but also of this country. But um, I am just a very interesting person. <laughs> I would say I, uh, I have a podcast myself. It's called Bianca Talks Policy, Politics, and Hip Hop, where I explore um, the difference between policy and politics, because a lot of people, um, especially in my circles, um, in my family and close friends, a lot of people say they don't do politics. But I try to explain to folks that policy governs our everyday lives. And while we may not want to you know, play or delve into politics, we have to engage in the, the policy and political process. And so that's been um, a large part of my career in the past, you know, six to eight years. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's, all. oh, I, I also have a company though. I, I, I was going to say, say I'm like, well, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I have a company. It's called Black Equity and Policy Institute. Um, it was established about three years ago now. And we work towards the political and social advancement of Black people, um, particularly in Milwaukee, because that's where our headquarters um, is. But we actually have been going across state lines um, over to Chicago and have done some work down in Memphis, just uh, trying to help folks with their advocacy skills. Um, We do a free advocacy course once per month, and it's called Um, Policy 101, and it basically teaches people the foundation of how to move an idea into a law. Um, So basically how a bill becomes a law and how the constituent and and what our citizen um, obligation and right is in that process. Wow. So interesting. I love it. Thank you. Yes, yes. I, one of the things that we'll, we'll get into a little bit later, how Bianca and I met, but one of the things that that seems so impressive to me in my, um, so Bianca's um, African-American or black, is there which? African-American, thank okay. you, I appreciate so, that. <laughs> so Bianca's African-American, as, as an African-American woman, I, in my community, in my growing up, even in my adulthood, we were involved with military politics because that's where we were, but otherwise, Politics was never a part of any conversations that I really had at home. Maybe things kind of heightened during a presidential election, but that's kind of all I heard about or talked about. So this is, it's so very interesting to me and very empowering, I would see, say, to see an African-American woman that's talking about the politics and delving in and knowing all those details for things that I really I really don't know and have to work hard to kind of understand them because it wasn't a part of my everyday. It wasn't a part of things that I had heard about on a regular basis. So that's, that's just, it's all very impressive and we're trying to seek all this knowledge. <laughs> what, what do you, for the people that you work with, um, generally, do they have a good understanding of 
policy and politics and partisanship or are you doing a lot of you know educating from the beginning yeah and I I appreciate your comments so much I want to say because um not until the murder of George Floyd had people actually taken an active interest in my conversations on policy and so I would say that um you know your comment is I love it because sometimes I feel like I am, you know, like this lone person on this island and trying to get folks, you know, to hear me. And so this year has been the first year where people actually are, you know, contacting me, wanting more information. What do I do now? You know, asking questions Um, before, like I said, the murder of George Floyd, it was um, really hard having conversations with people about policy because people uh, play in the the effects of politics. And I have to stop and say, we are in the pandemic. You may hear uh, my three-year-old niece in the background. Uh, my eight-year-old daughter is here with her as well, but that is all her that you hear, if you hear her. Um, but what I want to say is that politics... Um, when I explain to people um, and able to have these type of intimate conversations with them, politics are the behaviors of those people that we elect to represent us. So that's the 2 a.m. tweets. That's the arguing on, you know, on social media or the news and all of those behaviors of what they do and don't do. But policy is what governs our everyday lives. And that is what's going on when we're paying attention to the politics. But to answer your question, um, people are now asking and wanting to be more involved in the policy and political process. Um, so that's, uh, you know, very good. Um, but before, again, before 2020, it was, you know, uh, like you said, far and few, uh, uh, not too many of us actually advocating for, you know, local policy. That is a lot of people know about the federal things that go on, but, you know, are we very educated on those things or not is the question. Do you think, Bianca, that because of the, the way that 2020 has played out and how social justice issues have come maybe into the minds of people that previously weren't paying attention, um, do you think that there are now, there's now a place for barriers that were once there to be broken down? Um, I'm curious about barriers because Erica and I have done some work in our community and find that um, people do say that um, what you're doing is political, so we can't change our policies. And so it's interesting that you make that distinction. I think it's really helpful. But I'm just curious about, you know, barriers that you've seen in your work along the way, but then also this year, are you seeing some of those um, barriers being removed? Um. I'm seeing the barriers be exposed more than removed. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of talk about it. And so, you know, this is a 300 year process and you spoke on something, Heidi, that I have been educating my colleagues and professionals on. The Black Lives Matter movement, although it is a movement of, you know, our current time, it's no different than the civil rights movement. It's no different when slaves were trying to, you know, reach liberation. This is a 300 plus year journey of you know, black and brown people, black people and, and specifically African-Americans uh, trying to seek liberation. And so, especially in schools and also I work in government. So I, I'm hearing a lot of teachers you know, are being reprimanded or 
talk to because other teachers are saying like, you know, they can't have that Black Lives Matter sign in their window. That's a, that's political. Mm-hmm. My life is not political. The value of Black lives is not political. And just because a politician politicizes an issue doesn't make it political. Um, it, it, it makes it, you know, controversial and all of those other things. But I think that um, to answer your question, I think the barriers are being exposed. And now the African-Americans are not afraid to really speak and be authentic in our speech. We're addressing it. Whereas before the barriers were there, but they, they weren't being addressed because nobody you know, was exposing them blatantly as they've been exposed in this past administration. Mm-hmm. Hmm. That's right. So true. That's so true. And I think that that having someone um, willing to use their voice to to continue to expose these things and not just expose them and let them lay bare out there flapping in the wind, saying, "Okay, now that we see this, these are some of the next steps or the next things that we need to do to change it because you're not going to get people to get on board for making a change that they don't see um, or they don't see as being um, something that needs a change. So you expose it and now that it's here, we can all see it. We agree we see it. And now what are we going to do next? And long term, I think that's the other thing about, about policies. It's not a turn on a dime and we have now fixed everything. Maybe that uh, exposing the issue happens in a big, um, you know, flashpoint, but then making the changes is still another long-term process and you need to know the whole process to know how to attack each stage to get to what you want as the end goal. So mm-hmm. um, that's hard. <laughs> and- and it takes all of us. And I think that's the point, though, is like not one person. Like I know state really well um, and, and I'm, you know, have a lot more to learn. But there's the city, you know, in smaller places, you have your townships and your villages. We have the county, we have the state and then we have the federal government. And then you have departments because outside of all of that, the governments just really administer the funds, you know, dish out the funds. And then those departments, um, I'm sorry, the government makes the budget, the departments administer the funds and the contractors, you know, do the services. And so what I was thinking about when you were speaking, Erica, is the fact that um, even what what I've learned um, in, in this work is that even when we change policy, we have to put money behind it. So even when we change policy, we have to make sure there's a budget, a budgetary item to attach to it. So right now what's happening is a lot of, especially I'm going to speak for Wisconsin specifically, where we're 17% um, African-American in the state and 40, almost 42% of us are in Milwaukee. Right. Um, and so we have a lot of people um, doing the equity and inclusion work but who's actually creating budgets around it? Who's actually creating positions around it? It is a lot of emotional labor for one individual in a company to educate you know, all of their team on what it means to be diverse, equitable, and inclusive, right? And so how are we creating positions for folks so that they're paid for that emotional labor? You know, in my position, I am. And so that's why, even if I wasn't being paid, again, before I started this, what I'm doing now for the state, this is, this is my life's work. It's my life's purpose. So I will be doing it, but it's very taxing. 
it's, mm-hmm. it's a very taxing position to be in while struggling trying to pay your bills. And so I think that added to the policy piece that the, a lot that you're talking about, it's a lot to get the policy. Um, when you think about Vail Phillips and the fair housing legislation, that took over six years and it, and it didn't move until the commandos and Father Grappi did the 200 nights of marching. And so what we're looking at right now is um, the way that we change things or bring about transformation is we agitate first. And we've seen that, you know, we're going to talk about how we met. You agitate, you know, that's through the protests, the boycotts, the sit-ins, whatever that is. And then you educate. And I think right now we're in the education phase. And once we move from education, we can begin to transform. And so I think in the education phase, we as Black and African-American people and non-white people have to be patient I'll be honest, because for me, it's like, how many books do you have to read to understand humanity? You know, but but that's something that has to happen because our our people, our country has not been educated on culture culturally or you know, policy-wise. So there's gonna, like you said, there's gonna take a lot of time in this education phase to get people to understand why we have to say Black Lives Matter. And it's because for 300 years, Black Lives hasn't mattered. And so for 300 more years, we're gonna have to engrave that so that we can actually become a part of this constitution as human, whole human beings, not three-fifths of a person. Mm. Yes, mm. ma'am. I'm spending a lot of stuff at y'all. I'm sorry, now, but y'all, uh, got, y'all got me going. We y'all are good, this is good. <laughs> That's interesting. We, like, I would have thought, Erica, you were talking about awareness and advocacy and Bianca, you are too, but you almost like you said it backwards of what I would have, or like flipped of what I would have thought it was. Like I would have thought education then agitation, but you're saying stir the pot, wake people up and then give them the information. May, is, it, is that because people don't listen without some, some movement, some agitation? Because maybe people have tried to educate and people don't listen. I'm, I'm just curious about this like continuum of change. I, I can't answer that like probably satisfactorily, but it's just the way history has been, ha, has mm-hmm. it, you know what I mean? It's just the way yeah. that it's been done in history. And I think that, um, I mean, let's let, in all honesty, um, you know, as, I watched, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm stumbling on my words because I have so much to say. Um, I watched the, the PBS documentary Pilgrims last night. You all should definitely check that out. It's a, a PBS documentary and it's like one of the only closest true accounts to those individuals that came here on the Mayflower. And it's, it's, some, it's some really astonishing um, information like uh, George Bush is in the lineage of um, William Bradford, like their family is, right? So it tells like the lineage of this individual who kept, um, he kept a living document of the history of those first people in Plymouth. And so I think that they were religious people that came to this country to practice their religious rights, to protect, to practice their religion. Um, But they you know, what I'm trying to say is because I identify as a Christian too, when it comes to the education piece, we learn humanity within our religion. And so I think that's why you have to agitate first because at the spirit and at the soul of people, 
we should all understand humanity, but we don't. And so to agitate that and disrupt that learning, to disrupt that learning, um, because you have to unlearn some things, you know, mm-hmm. you have to unlearn before you can learn the truth because we've been taught so many um, untruths. And mm-hmm. so in my understanding, you agitate because even back in the 60s when they were just doing sit-ins at, at the restaurants and then they were, you know, beaten and, you know, dragged and fire hose and dogs, that exposure showed now because we have social media, it shows the world how innocent, you know, we are in this situation, but how vulgar, you know, the world views my community as. We're viewed as this vulgar, obscene, you know, belligerent, angry group of people, but we act peacefully. We have always acted peacefully in this country. So um, to answer, try to answer the question, I think that we agitate so that the exposure is seen because it, we have been saying in this, in this country, you know, since we've been here, we've been, you know, uh, discriminated against, you know, racism is real, but it wasn't until the murder of George Floyd that that voice has been validated. It wasn't until all of these sacrificial lambs have lost their lives that people, you know, white people are waking up and saying, hey, wait a minute, this isn't right. Hey, wait a minute. You know, like what is going on here? And so I think that that's where the agitation piece has to happen because we have a world full of educated folks. Like we don't lack an education. Um, We lack an experience, though. Mm. I think that agitation gives us that experience. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense now that you you talked it out, because because status quo, if you don't, you don't challenge the status quo it's just going to stay what it is like our, our culture would just be fine with the way things are if if they hadn't because i guess you know black people in the country have been saying for years i don't have equality the policies and practices are not equal my voice is not the same as the majoritized voice and and so now that some of that's being exposed you know, people are like oh the, the status quo is not not acceptable. Some people. Right. Um, okay, ladies, let's take a quick break and get a commercial in here. And then we'll come back on the other side and talk some more about uh, the educate agitation, education and transformation. So we are back with our guest Bianca Shaw for today. Um, we talked before about agitation, education and transformation and how they they really happen in that order and that brings us to how Bianca and I met because we were agitating (laughs) um this this summer you know of all the things that we're gonna remember for 2020 you know we in the springtime I guess we had um the death of Ahmaud Arbery we had um you know, the death of George Floyd, we had the death of Breonna Taylor, we had so many things to Bianca's point, it wasn't the first time that these things had happened. It wasn't even the first time that uh, Black people made the majority culture aware that these things were happening. But somehow, how they all happened this year really opened and we think it was part of the the pandemic, people were Mm -hmm. kind of shut in. And and it, it they were kind of sitting with their eyes peeled back because they they couldn't do other things and the the awareness the awareness of what that really meant of what those lives really meant and then 
marching, protesting, um, demonstrating, all of those things that people took to the streets to do. And we did that here too. We, we had a protest in uh, Grafton. We had protests in Cedarburg. We had protests in Port Washington. So, um, and I met Bianca at one of those protests. So Bianca, can you tell us a little bit about um, how these events, what they, what they meant to you and how getting involved in this process of agitation, how that looked for you. And then, also, even the March on Washington that you participated mm-hmm. in. Tell us, tell us about that, how that looked for you. And even you speaking about it has me a little emotional. Um, I think because, as you said, you know, since before Emmett Till, but especially since Emmett Till, these things have been happening to us. Um, technology has allowed for a world view of this. Um, and even still in 2020, um, I, when you said the pandemic and the fact that people were glued to their screens, but in addition, the pandemic made a lot of us reflect, you know, like a lot of us were present in that moment, right? So it wasn't like you just saw it and it was like some, another video. It was like, no, like I'm home, I'm reflecting on, you know, I either lost my job, I lost my health care, I've lost a loved one, like something is going on. So that, again, that human emotion kicked in around and around the globe, though, because there are people in Canada, UK, there are people all around the world saying this is happening here. I read this long um, post from a guy in UK, and he was listing all of the Black people in the UK who have been murdered by police but nothing has happened and so it's not just here it's, it's blatantly happening uh, happening here um but the fact that around the world this this voice this black voice uh surfaced and for me i've been learning about my history since i was about 15 um or probably seventh grade so i, I was about 13, 12 or 13, um, my dad uh, and my uncle are both uh, Nation of Islam brothers. And so from a very early age, they were um, educating me on like who I was, like not just, I didn't just come from slaves. I, I come from a land. I don't know where yet I have to pay, you know, to have my DNA tested to find out exactly where I come from and which region. But most of us definitely, a, a large percent of percentage of us come from West Africa and so having that pride from a young age um, and going through the phases I've gone through being in this place right now um, I'll be honest uh, Erica I I go on like uh, nature trips often because I have to raise my energy and so the weekend that George Floyd was murdered I was like on like this cabin retreat, like uh, on Menominee River, on um, was is it not Waukesha, whatever river it is. I'm sorry, um, it, but anyway, and so I was a little bit out of touch. So when I got home that Monday and was just you know sitting on my couch looking at all of the news, reading the social media, I was like, oh my God, it's happening. God had been preparing me for this moment, educating me, you know for this moment and I I felt stuck I really didn't know what to do and so it took me a few weeks actually to figure out where my place was because one I'm in an appointed position in the state so a lot of things you know I have to be very aware of what I do and how I do them but then it came down to my liberation 
Um, I am fighting for liberation, not just for myself, but for those brothers and sisters that are in slave camps, which we call prisons. And so for me, what that looked like was showing up for Brittany Vulich, who is the um, organizer for Break of the Silence and the Burbs. And I've gone to some protests in Milwaukee, um, but I really felt that with my level of knowledge and education, I know that God was placing me where he was because I needed to be there to educate some people on things that they may not have known because people don't know what they don't know. And so that was one part of, of what I was able to do was to uh, give my voice during those marches in the suburbs. I did um, join the People's Revolution in Milwaukee on a few marches, but my ultimate um, agitation in this has been to take my daughter out of the school system, the American school system. And it is because one, the pandemic for sure, I wasn't gonna allow her to go back into a classroom anytime this year. And now I know we're gonna be in this for like the next two, you know, maybe, you know, two years, at least the next 18 months. And so that was the first thing. But then when I asked her principal, like, so what are you all going to do to implement Act 31? In Wisconsin, Act 31 is a uh, state legislation that requires all public schools to teach First Nations history along with African-American and Latinx history. That's mm. not happening. And their response was like, we read this book, White Fragility. And that's great, but what is the action behind that? So what I'm doing is I've offered myself to them to help them to implement some type of learning, but until our schools can actually, not only with African-American and First Nation history, but our educational system is 150 years outdated compared to other global educational systems. And so that was my piece of liberation. And when I turned in my paperwork on October 1st to the Department of Public Instruction, I felt a piece of liberation. I felt like these people cannot tell me, um, you know, how I should raise my daughter, which puts um, a barrier on me of feeling like I'm not able to do what I need to do for her. Um, and also it was really me taking back a part of my life because I have depended on daycare and the school system to help me raise her. Like she's in school, what, 40, 50 hours a week. And so that was... I, in the pandemic, I learned patience and I saw that, wait, like, I want to teach her how to cook. I want to teach her about body image. I want to teach her about politics. I want to teach her all these things that are not being taught in school. And so while, you know, it is a drastic thing and a thing of privilege because everybody can't do that. Everybody can't like homeschool their children either for time or, you know, just lack of. So again, that to answer your question, that has been my role. And also I work in the state department. And so knowing that state departments are institutional, institutionalized systems of racism, I am working hard to dismantle racism by teaching equity and inclusion. Um, I've created with a group, I chair a group of about 15 other folks and we've created a curriculum that all of our departments have been trained on and, and it is impactful. Like in the trainings, people are confessing, you know, I, I had um, just, some, just some, some good conversations with people being authentic, uh, white people about how they didn't know what they didn't know. And so for me and, and with my podcast, it's like, if I can just reach one person for the day, you know, I feel like my job is done. I wanted to I wanted to connect that um your your the things that you've that you've 
changed about yourself or noticed about yourself or made decisions about, you know, I, I homeschooled uh, my kids and I so much agree with the freedom and the liberation of saying, this is my child. I, A, know what my child needs, B, know what I want to teach my child because I want to form how, who they become. Mm -hmm. And obviously not just I have a training that can make me a better educator than any other educator in the public school system. It's not that, it's the connection with my child, my legacy, how I want them to grow up. And I think that's a really big thing. But I also liked how, um, I know that you you pointed to a couple of uh, Heidi things there, being out in nature and, mm -hmm. and connecting and the calm and the resurgence, because I know that's something that she likes to do too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, go ahead. I'm just, I'm listening to like this empowered woman and Erica, you're an empowered woman. And I think of myself as an empowered woman, how I'm curious about how you, you said you found your voice. Like there was a moment that you found your voice. And then even this year, you felt more liberated to do what was, what speaks to you and your heart and what, who you want to be. And what are the things in your life maybe God, maybe it's your faith, but maybe there's other things as well. Like what's taking you and empowering you and, and giving you this, this self authorship in, on your journey, you know, it, mm -hmm. it sounds like it's very, there's like this strong pull inside of you. And I'm, I'm just wondering if there's anything that our listeners could benefit from hearing about, you know, how does it, how does it move? Are you moved? It's a few things. So I did tell you all that I was raised in the South. And so I was raised by my great grandmother. And so that's the Bible built. Um, and you can hear my Southern draw sometimes when I speak. Um, so uh, Memphis is in the Bible built. And so I do attribute my faith um, first and foremost, my grandmother and my great grandmother and grandmother introduced me to my creator very early. And that has saved me just from a lot of stuff, not just, you know, as a child, I think just a lot of things that um, could have happened to me didn't happen. I think it, and it was because of my introduction to faith at a very early age. Um, outside of that, I think as my ancestors, I do have a spiritual connection to my ancestors and, and that is tied into my purpose in life. And so I think that that is one thing that is super important, whether people are of faith or not. Um, you, you've come from someone, you've come from a, a body that was here. And so being connected to your ancestors and especially in my community is so very important because our history has not been documented. And so we have, I have to connect spiritually to understand like where we were, where we are and, and where we're going. And third, I want to say the Wisconsin Women's Network um, by far changed my um, my life. Seriously. I was 36 when I when I joined the Wisconsin Women's Network. And it is a nonpartisan group that teaches women how to advocate for themselves and young girls in Wisconsin. Um, uh, I'm on the board now and we are in discussions just trying to figure out how this year is going to next year is going to look. But we no normally offer a course uh, once per year. It starts the beginning of the year and goes for uh, four months. You go to Madison. If you're not in Madison, I was going to Madison 
for four weekends uh, in 2017, it was 2017. And what they did over those four months, we actually took a piece of legislation and, and from start to the end, um, and it was a real piece of legislation too. And some, some of those pieces actually make it into to laws and some of them we're still advocating for. My, my bill was the um, dual uh, expansion bill. We were trying to get uh, the state to pay for dual services for private and for state. But what that did, um, Heidi, I learned my voice there um, because I always knew that my voice would be used uh, as a part of my purpose. And again, talking to you about my journey I thought at first it was going to be like in the church um and then I started studying Islam and so <laughs> learned that uh, Islamic women couldn't speak in public so I was like no that's not for me and so when I was like um 36 joined the uh the Wisconsin Women's Network and there's this thing that I took away the Wisconsin Women's Network opened up a door for a girl who didn't know there was a damn hallway I didn't know anything about lobbyists I, I didn't know anything about, you know, I didn't even think I could be a senator or in like, I want to be a senator now. So it just opened up this door of like possibilities that I didn't know was there. But also I was 36 learning something we should learn in high school. Like mm -hmm. voting is not a right, it's an obligation. You know, I mean, it's a right for some of us because some of us weren't born with the right. Like some of us are not written in the Constitution and therefore the Congress has to vote, I think, every seven years for African-Americans for us to have the ability to vote. Right. A lot of people don't know that. But there is a law that like because we're considered three fifths of a person in this country, every so often the Congress has to vote to make to, you know, to make sure that we still have our voting, our voting mm -hmm. rights. And so the the point that that we we say that voting is a right that's true, but it's more of an obligation to our country. It's more of an obligation to our children and our future because if we don't vote and engage in the political process, then what happened in this last term can happen again if we don't put those checks and balances into place. And so where I found my voice. Um, where I found the power to speak up was in the Wisconsin Women's Network because I was just, again, like you're saying, we're on this call with all these powerful women. I was in a room with like 30, 40 powerful women. And when you're in a room like that, that energy, it just, you know, propels you. And I think that um, another group I joined was Emerge Wisconsin. And I went through them at the same time. So Wisconsin Women's Network gave me, it laced me with the game. It gave me the knowledge that I needed to walk into spaces, talk to, you know, white men in power, you know, on their terms and, and make things happen. I've had productive conversations with Robin Voss, believe it or not. Um, and so I think that the, the network gave me that, but Emerge uh, gave me, I want to say the political connections to like know where to go, who to speak to, how to speak to them, how to fundraise and all of those things. And I think that Emerge um, was another group of, uh, it, it's a democratic group though. It's a, a group that teaches democratic women how to run for office and win. And in there, I also was empowered. So I think that what I was gonna add is that um, through, through the Emerge group though, like it was a sisterhood as well to where like, I have so many sisters around this state that don't look like me, that use their right privilege to help me. And that, in and, and, and all honesty, that is how I got to where I am today is because white women in Madison uh, 
was speaking my names in rooms that I hadn't entered yet. You know what I mean? And not saying that black women couldn't do it, but again, that white privilege. In the room um, yet. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. So yeah, I, I can talk a lot, y'all. Y'all gotta stop me sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean there is just there's so much here. Uh, it, it there's just so much and people have to be intentional to learn the things you, you can say I didn't know what I didn't know but you can only say that to a certain point before you have to really intentionally take that step to learn the thing to unlearn the things that we all were taught that just weren't right and then to learn you know truth then to be able to wield that truth as a power in whatever room we, we're going to end up breaking into so you know I think that that's it's um it's an honest look at it and it's something that people need to hear because one of the reasons why we do this podcast you know bridge the divide in the suburbs where we are there aren't people hearing you they're not hearing your story they're not hearing how you got where you are what what you've learned and how you can use it so then their assumption is it doesn't exist Mm. well I haven't seen it I guess not no no you just haven't seen it so if you don't have the proximity on your own or organically, then we're going to place people like Bianca in front of you at your, you know, in your headsets in front of you to, to hear and to learn so that we can do better. The, to know better is to do better, but you got to, you got to intentionally do better. And I just want to add this one thing too. One thing when I'm speaking to parents specifically, or, and just adults, because every adult I would hope has a little in their life they care about. And so I was, I was just thinking about the audience who may be listening to this, that they are suburb, suburbanites, you know, in Wisconsin. Think about your children. If, if you're not thinking about yourself, think about your children. In the year 2020, white children become the minority. Do you want to set your child up for failure by not teaching them how to be culturally responsive and appropriate? And, and, and even though you're right, Erica, like they may not see it, but what happens when your daughter or son comes home with some dating someone outside of their race? You know, what, what happens when they bring the music and the culture in your home? So I think that even if, even though adults aren't there, the kids are the, these, you know, <laughs> I can remember when I was growing up, like, and this is a super generalized statement I'm trying to make. Black people didn't buy music. We, we like, you know, dubbed it. And you know what I mean? It was the white kids that were buying, you know, the Tupac music. And, you know, seriously, though. And so I think that white parents have to be realistic. You know, you, you, we live in this bubble in Wisconsin. But if you want your child to be able to complete, not nationally, because, again, nationally, probably will be okay. But once they go out of sight of this country globally, can your child compete? Does your child have what he or she needs to com- to collaborate? I don't want to say compete because in, in America, we teach the competition right. in our education. Right. Can your child collaborate globally? That's the question you have to ask yourself. And if your child's going to stay in Wisconsin for the rest of their lives in Baraboo, Wisconsin, great. You know, you probably won't have that issue. But should your child ever want to leave out of this state, move to a, you know, urban city or an urban area or even just a different country? You know, I want my child to be able to go anywhere and, and speak to people and not feel like they, something's wrong with them and she's right. But to understand how our differences, we have more alike than we do differences. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, you speak right. our language. Right. <laughs> well, this is what we're constantly telling people, right? You can you can check your curriculum. You can um, check how you're communicating to people and say, does it work for suburbia? Maybe it does. But what happens next? What's the next that you can never communicate with someone that doesn't look like you or the cultural humility? You're right, mm-hmm. Heidi. <laughs> how are they going to get to your university and thrive? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to even connect with people that don't look, believe, talk like them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. I think we got to get in one more break and then mm-hmm. we're going to come back and, and talk with Bianca about what's next. What do we do now? How do we make this change? We agree that there needs to be a change. We agree that we want to disrupt the status quo. What are we going to do about it? We'll be back in just a minute. Thank you all for hanging in there with us. We are, um, Heidi and I are talking with our guest, Bianca Shaw, and um, we've heard a lot about uh, how Bianca got interested in uh, policy work. We've heard how um, 2020 and all of its ups and downs have have, uh, affected, in fact, uh, how it affected some of her work. I've got coronavirus on the brain um and and what we want to talk about now really is is what's next because that that seems to be even when you have people awaken they know that something's not right they know the status quo isn't good or they know that changes are necessary but they don't know what to do next so you know a part of bridge the divides work it's education, but to a point, right? We don't necessarily have a specialty in um, a policy or how to start legislation. But what we do is we want to help awaken the community and walk them to towards a place that they can make some change. So we ask you to come to common council meetings. We ask you to come to school board meetings. Um, We have uh, the diversity, equity, inclusion task force. We ask you to bring those things so that people that are in positions of power know that the community is aware that changes are needed and the community is ready to stand by um, and step up and speak up to get those changes made. So um, some of the next steps for Bridge the Divide, we have in January, we are partnering with the North Shore Coalition. So um, Bay Bridge in Whitefish Bay, Shorewood moving forward, some of those programs on the North Shore so that we can celebrate Martin Luther King Day, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. We celebrate, we have a federal holiday that people kind of blow by. Like, well, I guess we'll have a professional development or, you know, or we don't really have to talk about it with our students or some that that are very involved do and some that are less involved don't. We want to try to push forward the idea that everybody, all of us collectively need to celebrate, educate, advocate and serve. Those are the things that Dr. King wanted. And we want to make sure that we we help point you to how you can do those things. So in January, we're hoping to have a countywide community reads with several books that we're gonna recommend that we can try to get communities to read together and then have some large community conversations about things that we've read. If they're books like Color of Law, uh, Stamped from the Beginning, How to Be an Anti-Racist, The New Jim Crow, Cast, 
Isabel Wickerson, that's, that's just come out. So you'll hear more information for us about that. We are working with some groups to figure out what kind of service projects that we can bring forward. Service should be something that you're kind of doing all the time. But again, if we're trying to elevate this thought uh, at this time to do this as honor to Dr. King, then we're going to try to offer you some service projects that you can do. Um, the education, one of the things that Bianca talked about was how people learn how to be a part of the change they want to see, how to connect the advocacy and the activism and the policy and um, where it becomes political and where it doesn't. So Bridge the Divide will also offer a session in January where um, Bianca is gonna come and teach us some of those things. So you'll hear more about those things in, in how Bridge the Divide is trying to get you to a spot that take you from where I don't know what I don't know isn't as relevant because you're searching to know more things. So we want you to, to kind of engage in some of these things. So Bianca, if you can tell us a little bit about um, how people can reach you and contact you, how what things maybe that you would recommend for folks to do for some of these next steps, if hearing you talk about these things today are the things that are opening their minds to, to, to really be willing to step up and do something differently, what things would you recommend they do and how, can, how they can connect with you if they needed to? Okay, so um, I'll start with what um, things they can do. Don't let me forget how to connect because I always <laughs> forget to plug myself. Um, I think that a few of, I'm just going to ramble off some things, whether it's related to policy or racial equity. I think in the policy area, we've just had an election. Have you called to either congratulate the individual you voted for or to just, if you did not vote or did not vote for the individual who won, call to let them know what your issues are. Uh, make a phone call. Your elected officials should hear from you um, and they should know who you are um, and for you to try to get to know them better. I also think that um, in, in the area of racial equity, um, a lot of people, you know, want to take a big leap start small. If, if, if you are new to this, um, there is a lot of emotional labor that goes into this work. You know, as an African-American woman, every day that I wake up emotional labor, um, I don't have a choice. I have to deal with the emotional labor. If you have a choice of dealing with emotional labor as it relates to equity, I would say that choose to pick that up every day. Have those conversations within your family. Um, I know uh, we all know somebody that, that does not think like us. And so having those conversations in those spaces that are, I won't say safe, but that are intimate spaces where you can actually be authentic and not have to fear bodily harm. Start with your family, start with your colleagues, start with your, your peers and having those discussions. I would also say mentor someone that doesn't look like you. Um, that's an amazing way um, to get into this. Equity work is not something that you can necessarily read a book and you know you can understand it and be educated from reading a book, but you have to do the work. And that means actually engaging with individuals whose who's experience this is every day. And so making sure that you reach out to people. I know that we're in a virtual space. We, you know, if you're on social media, 
pick some folks to reach out to and have authentic conversations or to follow. Um, those are just some of the, the simple things that I think people can do. I also think that people can come and volunteer in areas that, that need the help if you're okay with being outside in a pandemic. And I know that we are in a pandemic, um, but folks still need help. So if you are a person that can mask up and do all of the procedures, the proper procedures you need to do to be in public, volunteer in those places um, where help is needed. Um, where I can be reached, um, I can be reached, uh, I have a website, it's called Bianca Talks, B-I-A-N-C-A-T-A-L-K-S, BiancaTalks.com. Um, that is uh, where my podcast uh, lives. Also, you can find me on Facebook, Bianca Shaw, and you can uh, find me on Instagram at Bianca Shaw 2036. And I want to say thank you so much for, you know, having me today. This has been an amazing conversation. Um, and I can't wait to January to come and uh, do some work with you all. And you did skip out one. This is terrible. The every Wednesday, oh. the Bianca talks policy and policy no, politics and hip-hop yes I told you I am a bad like I can promote <laughs> other people but me promoting myself is not a great thing so yes I have a podcast it comes on every Wednesday I want to say it's a, a Facebook live show it's not a podcast yet I am applying for my um access to Spotify uh, and iTunes. So I am on Facebook right now. It's Facebook Live on Bianca Shaw or Bianca Talks Policy, Politics and Hip Hop. And that is every Wednesday, 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time, except for holidays. So we, want, we weren't on this past Wednesday, but every Wednesday you can catch my podcast and they are also on the Facebook page, Bianca Talks Policy, Politics and Hip Hop. So you can come back and watch them at any time as well. This is great. I feel, I feel like I've just learned so much. Now we have to see how much I can uh, retain <laughs> and bring it back up when it's necessary. Go in those recesses of my mind. I learned this thing. Um, <laughs> you got it. Yeah. So uh, thank you so very much for once again, joining us um, on this, this CPL radio platform for the bridge, the divide podcast. Um, I do want to remind folks, too, that uh, CBS 58 ran a story about our Bridge the Divide scholars for a scholarship program we have. So if you don't get our newsletter, you should subscribe to our newsletter. We do have some links in there, too. Um, but again, uh, one more thing that you can do, because to Bianca's point, you know, we've had the 300, 400 years to get here. There's a lot of peeling back to do. There's a lot of healing to do. There's a lot of repair that we need to intentionally do. And all those different levels um, are getting us one step closer to the goal. We got to celebrate mm -hmm. those small wins because this mm -hmm. is going to be a long time for us to, um, us, our, our children, our children's children to right this ship. So we'll just keep working at it. And we hope that you're working at it with us. Thank you so very much for joining us. And we will catch you next time. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. We welcome your feedback, suggestions, and any program ideas. Spoken word artist propaganda states, we need to consider the waters we swim in. Maybe it's not toxic to me, but it's toxic to my neighbor. And if it's toxic to my neighbor, it's probably toxic to me too. Let's breathe better water. Contact us 
on our website at www.bridgethedivide.life. You can email us, info at bridgethedivide.life, or reach us on social media. Facebook is Bridge the Divide Community, and on Instagram, it's Bridge the Divide Podcast. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.